So, okay, we'll begin with um, this first talk in Taiwan. And it really is an honor to be here. Yeah, I'm just feeling, I have a lot of just feelings just looking out at all of you. It's so sincere and it touches my heart. And I want to just acknowledge that sometimes coming to a meditation retreat is not so easy. One monk says that it actually takes quite a lot of guts, it takes a lot of courage to come to a meditation retreat. And actually, um, he, I want to read a, a reading from Bhante G that speaks about uh, the guts it takes to come to a meditation tree. He says that somewhere in this process of meditation, you'll come face to face with the sudden realization that you're completely crazy. That your mind is a shrieking madhouse on wheels, barreling down the hill, utterly out of control and hopeless. No problem, you're not any crazier than you were yesterday. It's always been this way, you just never noticed. This is the nature of the mind. But I'd like to uh, say, please do not be fooled by this. There's a Persian poet, his name is Hafiz. And he writes about what it would be like to um, for three days just to be in his closet meditating, what would happen? He says, not many teachers in this world can give you as much enlightenment in one year as sitting all alone for three days in your closet. That would do. That means not leaving and you better get your a friend to help you with a few sandwiches and get a get a chamber pot. Just 
to read on Zoom for the PMO. No reading, uh-uh. No writing either. No poems. That would be cheating. Let's aim for the 360-degree detox. This sitting alone, though, is not recommended if you're normally sedated. So, dear one, don't let her, don't let Hafiz fool you. There is a ruby buried inside here. There is a ruby buried inside here. Don't let her fist fool you. There's a ruby buried inside here. So this means as we begin to sit with ourselves, we may discover some deeper wisdom and understanding. That's what the ruby is, it's wisdom and understanding. Tonight I want to talk with you about what, what brings you what brings us to practice. Because if, if life is going all peachy, rosy, creamy, if it's going all wonderful, why would you want to come here? So I'd like to just share with you a very beautiful story from a New York City taxi cab driver. Every time I read this, I cry, so you'll have to bear with my tears. Supposedly, this was a, a true story that happened some years ago in New York City with this taxi cab driver. So he says, I arrived at the address and I honked the horn, and after waiting a few minutes, I honked again. And since this was going to be my last ride of my shift, I thought about just driving away, but instead I put my car in park, and I walked up to the door and I knocked. Just a minute, answered a frail, elderly voice, and I could hear something being dragged across the floor. And after a long pause, the door opened and there was a small woman in her 90s and stood before me. She was wearing a pink, a print dress and a pillbox hat with a veil pinned on it, like somebody out of a 1940s movie. Uh, 
And by her side was a small nylon suitcase. The apartment looked as if no one lived in it for a few years. All the furniture was covered with sheets. There were no clocks on the walls, no knickknacks or utensils on the counters, and in the corner was a cardboard box filled with photos and glassware. Would you carry my bag out to the car, she said, and I took the suitcase to the cab and then I returned to assist the woman. And she took my arm and we walked slowly toward the curb. And she kept thanking me for my kindness. It's nothing, I told her. I just try to treat my passengers the way I'd want to treat my mother to be treated. And she said, oh, you're such a good boy. And when we got in the cab, she gave me an address and then asked if you could drive me through the downtown. It's not the shortest way, I answered quickly. Oh, I don't mind, she said. I'm in no hurry. I'm on my way to a hospice. I looked in the rearview mirror, her eyes were glistening. She said, I don't have any family anymore. The doctor says I don't have long to live. And I quietly reached over and I shut off my meter. What route would you like me to take? I asked. For the next two hours, we drove through the city, and she showed me the building where she had once worked as an elevator operator. We drove through the neighborhood where she and her husband had lived when they were newlyweds, and she had me pull in front of a furniture where a furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she had gone dancing as a girl. Sometimes she'd ask me to slow in front of a particular building or a corner, and she would just sit staring into the darkness, saying nothing. As the first hint of the sun was creasing in the horizon, she suddenly said, I'm tired, let's go now. And we drove in silence to the address she had given me, and it was a low building, like a small convalescent home. 
一个一道的阳光在地平线上裂缝中升起，突然之间，他告诉我，我累了，我们走吧。我们默默的开到他给我的地址，那是一座不堪的建筑物，啊，就好像一家小的疗养院。The two orderlies came out of the cab when we pulled up. They must have been expecting her. I opened the trunk and I took out the small suitcase, and the woman was seated in a wheelchair. 我打开车厢，取出他的小行李箱，放在旁边，放在旁边。此时，他已经坐在轮椅上。And she asked me, how much, how much do I owe you? I said nothing. 然后他问我，我多少钱呢？你要把他的钱包拿起来。我告诉他，不用，不用钱。You have to make a living, she answered. And I responded back, "There will be other passengers." And almost without thinking, I just bent down and I gave her a big hug, and she held on to me tightly. She said, "You just gave an old woman a little moment of joy. Thank you." She said, "You just gave an old woman a little moment of joy. I squeezed her hand and I walked into the dim morning light. Behind me, a door was shut. It was the sound of the closing of a life. 
，生病，第二个是生病，第三个是死亡。Those are the first three, and the fourth one is pointing to the possibility of awakening. And I believe that actually、uh, we could not be in this room. Practicing this retreat, if we've not been touched with all four of these messengers. We all know about aging and illness and death. And we've also heard something about mindfulness, something about the some way to make greater sense in life. So there's another reading that I want to share with you called Otherwise. It's by Jane Kenyon. And she says, "I got out of bed on two strong legs. It might have been otherwise." I ate cereal, sweet milk, and ripe flawless peach. It might have been otherwise. I took the dog uphill to the birch wood in the morning. I did the work that I loved, and at noon I lied down with my mate. It might have been otherwise. And we ate dinner together at a table with silver candlesticks. It might have been otherwise. And I slept in a bed in a room with paintings on the walls, and I planned another day, just like this day. But one day, I know it will be otherwise. One day, I know it will be otherwise. It is hard for us to acknowledge the impermanent nature of things. There's even a story back in the Buddha's time of a woman who lost her baby, and she would just walk around. Trying to find somebody that would help her baby, though her baby had died. She would travel to place to place with her dead baby, hoping that this healer, this doctor, could help her. But no one really could. But someone suggested, "Go see the Buddha. The Buddha will help you." 
那最后有人告诉他，也许你要去见见佛陀，也许佛陀会有些办法。And she came to the Buddha with her dead baby and said, "Can you help my baby?" And the Buddha said, "Yes, I can." And he said, um, "Before I can help your baby, you have to go to a house in the village and get me some mustard seeds." Well, she thought that would be really easy. But then the Buddha said, "Give me the mustard seeds from a house where someone has not experienced any death." And so the first house, she、uh, knocked on the door and asked them, "Do you have some mustard seeds for me?" And they said, "Sure, I have some." And just as、uh, they were about to give her the mustard seeds, she remembered, "Oh, oh yeah, wait a minute. I'm supposed to ask you first." If, if, have you experienced any death in, in your house, or you know? And, and the person said, "What do you mean? Why are you asking me that? Just just last month, my mother-in-law died." Said that she traveled from house to house, and every house she came to, she found out that death had visited their family. Said to me very 
kindly and lovingly, oh, don't worry, Bob, it won't happen for a long, long time. And I could tell by the kindness of their voice, they were being very gentle and loving with me. But I also knew they weren't telling me the truth. Because what I knew was that death could come at any time. And just a few years ago, I happened to be back in Boston and I was in a car and I decided to drive down that road, which I had had that realization over 50 years earlier. It was powerful to drive on that road 50 years later. Maybe my parents were right, it hasn't happened yet for a long, long time. But of course, one day we know it will be otherwise. By the time I was nine years old, my brother died, my best friend and my grandfather. And this even more just shook me so deeply, this truth of death. These were the messengers that uh, penetrated into my heart like an arrow. For many, many years, I lived in a place of a lot of confusion and despair and grief. And in my, um, at the end of my second year of college, I flunked out of school. I was just so lost and confused. During those years, there was war, there was all types of the, the 1960s, so I was very confused. And after flunking out of school, I was readmitted back on warning. After flunking out of school, I was readmitted again with a warning. And um, 
My mother begged me, isn't there something that would interest you? Take a look at the course catalog. Wouldn't there be something that would interest you? And I looked through the course catalog and something gathered my attention. It was about the wisdom of the East. I didn't really know much about it, but I had this good feeling about the East. Growing up, I, I don't want this to sound funny, I really mean it very seriously. But the truth is that growing up, I was very fond of going to Chinese restaurants. I loved the food and I loved just the feeling that was there, those big pictures of Buddhas and it was just a different feeling. The food was good, there was just, it was felt peaceful there, there was pictures of Buddhas and dragons, it was just was mysterious. So I decided to take that class. And there I met my fourth heavenly messenger. And that was my college professor, Bill Jackson. I'll never forget, I, that first day of class, I walked in the room, and Bill was sitting on top of his professor's desk in a full lotus position. I had never seen a professor like this before. And the first book he had us read was the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu. And I started reading the Tao Te Ching and I couldn't believe that someone had written about life in this way. So simple and so profound wisdom in the Tao. And then I came across epigram number 47. And there Latsu says, there's no need to look outside your window. Everything we need to know is inside you. I just read that over and over and over. I had never heard of that type of an idea before. 
我从来没有听过这样的一些呃说法或者理论。All of a sudden, I began to recognize I was so lost and confused because I'd been looking outside of myself, and here was an invitation: begin to look in here. So again, these the first three messengers: aging, illness, and death. These had shaken me to a deep core of lostness and confusion. And then Bill Jackson sitting in that full lotus and sharing Latsu and this, you need to look inside your heart. This was the fourth heavenly messenger, the messenger of awakening. The fourth heavenly messenger is one that's showing you that there is another way to awaken to greater wisdom and compassion. There's a possibility here. My sense is that you too have experienced these messengers, and and coming to this retreat is like a fourth heavenly messenger. There's maybe another way. 我我猜，我猜，也许你们也经历过前面的三个上天派来的奇才，呃，这里其实也是要来，是时候见到第四个奇才，让我们可以知道，原来除了把我从在外寻找之外，还有另外一条不一样的道路，不一样的方法，可以从内在内心找到我们要找的答案。After college, I eventually um, traveled to Burma, to Myanmar. And was ordained temporarily as a Burmese forest monk. And I just want to just deeply bow to my teachers. Rina Sirkar, Tungpulu Siado, Lindes Siado, Bakoku Siado. And I find that within this practice, that it helps support to embrace the fears and to find、uh, the heart, the ruby inside. And I learned that we don't push anything away in life. Everything is our teacher. So this is from Dana Falls called the Whole Array. She says this life isn't about slicing off the parts you don't like 
and be left with those that you do. I choose the whole array, night and day, ease and its opposite, the squeaky wheel and the grease gun. Push away any piece of life, and a key that could have opened a door is lost, tossed out with the trash. I pray for the courage to receive the full catastrophe, however it appears to me, without needing to push back. And so I want to have a sense that what brings us all here are these messengers to awaken. And of course, the story of the Buddha speaks to um, these heavenly messengers. It is said that um, he was born into a noble family. He was a prince destined to become a great king. And in his 29th year of life, he had a series of encounters that shook him to his uh, core. His father tried to protect him from seeing any of the hardships of life because he wanted him to become a great king. But in his 29th year, he went outside of the palace gates and he encountered for himself aging illness and death that shook him again to his deep core. This upset his heart and he trembled. And on his last outing outside of the palace gates, he encountered a monk that was walking so serenely and peaceful. And when he saw this monk and then found out what this what a monk does is trying to meditate to understand the meaning of life, he decided this is what he needed to do. And so in this 29th year, and he actually was married, his wife was pregnant, he actually left the palace to seek the meaning of life. 
，然后当他二十几岁的时候，那个时候他们已经结婚，有一个妻子，但是而且他的妻子也已经呃怀了小孩，但是他还是依赖居住，他决定要离开皇宫，去寻找生命的意义。I also want you to know that a number of years later he comes back to the palace and teaches his wife and son and His family, what he learned. So he he does come back. He's not such a bad guy. And of course, he knew,、uh, being in this noble family, that his wife and son would be well taken care of. And、um, the, but this urgency inside him was so great. What is this life if it's all going to end up in death? He lowered his 
food intake to one grain of rice a day. And eventually he lost his energy and he was almost a collapse and, and got very, very ill. He said if you touched his belly, you could feel the tailbone. And realized eventually, Siddhartha realized this path of extreme punishment of the body will not get me enlightened, it will kill me. And so he left those practices and he started to take food again to build his nourishment and his body back into health. And he regained his health and he came across a very beautiful tree and decided to sit underneath this tree and and took a resolve, I'm just going to stay here. There's no other teacher or teaching to go to. He took his seat and he began to meditate with the mindfulness of breathing. And while he was meditating, he recalled the memory of when he was a, a boy. And in that memory, he was sitting underneath another tree, and it was a very beautiful day, and he was looking out at the fields. And it was one of these just beautiful days. He just felt so peaceful and happy. But he, but he looked over on one field and saw some farmers with some ox and some plows, and they were getting ready to break open the earth to turn over the earth to begin the planting season. Maybe because his sensitivity was so heightened, when the plow blade went into the earth, he almost could hear the cries of the worms in agony being cut open. And it was just this amazing moment of the beauty of the world and the sadness of the world. They were both there. And so he recalled this memory from so many years earlier 
，然后他提起这一个很多年前他所经历到的这一个记忆。And he began then to meditate on his breathing in and out. 然后他继续随着他自己的呼吸继续安住在这个情况当中。Now, up to that time, the meditation practice was with the breath, but it was developing one-pointed concentration and absorption. But something happened because of that memory. He changed the focus. Rather than going into absorption and one-pointedness, he shifted his perspective to be aware of the impermanent, ever-changing nature of the breath that was reflected on this change. 然后他把这个练习反过来忽忽视自己去追求或者练习进入一个禅定的定性，反过来他用他的觉察力去观察呼吸过程当中所呈现到的改变变化，从而看看到这无常那个呈现发生。So a very big change from absorption. To becoming mindful of the changing nature of the breath. From 非常稳定的禅定的定性，一个不变的状态，改成为一个用同样的专注力、注意力去觉察一无情改变的那个呼吸，或者是无常的呈现。And this led to deep realizations about life. 
human body at peace with itself is more precious than the rarest of gems. Cherish your body, it's yours, this one time only. The human form is one with difficulty, it is easy to lose. All worldly things are brief like lightning in the sky. This life you must know as the tiny splash of a raindrop. A thing of beauty that disappears even as it comes into being. Therefore, set your goal and make use of every day and night. The human body at peace with itself is more precious than the rarest of gems. May all beings be at peace.